can say that uh, I'm nervous this morning. I always have a little bit of nerves when you stand up in front of people. This is, uh, some of you have these kind of jobs where when you make a mistake, you make it in front of a lot of people. So, uh, you know, some of you have jobs where you make a mistake and sometimes you're the only one that knows and you can sort of dust it off and move it in a corner. But, you know, we do something wrong up here. There's lots of folks that get to see it. And, uh, and then when you come up and you, you work on something and it doesn't come out quite right, you go, yes, I'm a little nervous this morning because we're dealing with a topic that's, that's it's not difficult and yet at the same time it's incredibly difficult because it really goes a little bit against the way we think and the way we've been raised to think. Uh, it's truth and it's what we need to hold on to. In fact, it's what we've got to hold on to. But at the same time, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a little different. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you this morning to do something we don't normally do. Um, normally, I'll put scripture up on the screen sometimes. And this morning, I want you to pick up your Bibles, if you would, and go to, to uh, Philippians chapter 2 and sort of follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some of the pew racks. Turn to page 998. That'll be the second chapter of Philippians. I want to ask you to do something else this year. I believe, I believe with all of my heart, I see it happening all around me, and it can't be a coincidence. I believe that God is wanting to do something in his church. I really do believe that he's going to bring about an awakening of his church. And when I ask you to do something I've never asked my congregations to do before, I want to ask you to bring some paper and take some notes. Not that every word that I say is worth hanging on, but the words that the Holy Spirit leads you to, to put down on paper and take home with you. We come to church for, not just for ourselves, but we come to give it away. If we're coming just for us, we're only getting half the story. And the best way to learn something, to remember it, is to write it down. And then later, when you're wanting to tell somebody else, then you've got something that can jog your memory and can help you get that point out to them. Not to mention you can go back a little later in the week and review it when you have something on your mind because the Holy Spirit is going to call things to your memory. So, I want to ask you to do that. Now, as a little prelude to where we're at, I want to um, give a little background here. Paul is the author of the book of Philippians. He's writing to the church at Philippi but he's speaking to the entire church. Now what we tend to do in the church when we're doing any kind of studying is we apply it just to us and to nobody else and we apply it as though we live in isolation, that it just applies to me and then sometimes I can look at the scripture and I go, well, you know, they're talking to them or they're talking to them or he's talking to them, he's not talking to me. Paul makes a point in this scripture to make sure that he says to everybody, this is for every person in the house. It's for every individual in the church to apply with the thought in their mind that it applies to them and them in relation to everybody else. He's not speaking to just Randy or Felicia or Lisa or Laura or Barry or Matt or anybody individually, he's speaking to the whole church saying, listen, this applies to you. Figure out how it works with your relationship to everybody else. So I want us to hear it that way. 
not just thinking of this, well, so-and-so needs, no, so-and-so doesn't need to, you need to. You need to, and how does this apply to you in relation to everybody else? Now, you know that I have to have something when I'm talking, and I gotta get our attention by confessing to you that I have a problem. I have had this issue for years and years and years, and my issue is chicken wings. You can look at me and tell. I have an issue with chicken wings. And you know, it doesn't just have to be a chicken wing. It can be any fried piece of chicken. I don't care what it is. I have had fights with my brother when we were young, literal fights. Throw him on the floor for the back. You know, we used to get whole chickens back in the day and you had to get, there's not a whole lot on there, but it was the last piece and by golly dingoes, I was having the last piece and that little runt wasn't gonna have it. Just had this weakness. But there was a time when I was 20 years old that I made a New Year's resolution that I was gonna lose weight that year and my mom and I joined the Weight Watchers. I've mentioned this to y'all before. We joined the Weight Watchers. I was very active then. I was on two softball teams, two bowling leagues. We went water skiing, we went snow skiing. We did just about anything that we could do physically active back in those days and I lost 50 pounds. And I was looking pretty good. I wore a size 36 jeans for almost two weeks. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. I have read every diet there is to be read. I have examined every website that there was. I joined the gym last year. And even while I'm in the gym, I hear those chicken wings whispering in my ear, Randy, we're gonna make you feel so good, son. A Little bit salty, a little bit crunchy. Randy, you know you love us. Don't leave us out here in the cold. One or two of us won't hurt you. Just have one or two, it's no big deal. Go for it, son, go for it. So being the first of the year, here it is the first Sunday in January, I need to make a New Year's resolution and there's every possibility that I would make the same resolution that I have made for 40 years. 40 years. This is gonna be my year to lose weight. We go through this ritual every year don't we? And you know, losing weight is, the, is one of the most popular New Year's resolutions there is. You don't believe me? Go over to Elite Fitness this week. You know, you start out in January. I know I started in November of last year. Uh, Luke and I started in November of last year. And you know, you could walk in and get any machine you wanted to get and exercise on anything you wanted to exercise on. You could walk in and do anything you want to. And then come the second week in January and you almost had to make a reservation. You know, you better show up at 9.30 at night so some of these folks could go home. But if you're patient, eventually they all peel away until there's a few hardcore folks. And then you get to November and even I quit going. Resolutions. I talk about chicken wings because it's funny, but you know, chicken wings mean something to me. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and I don't take very good care of it. And that, I'm, I really am, I'm convicted by this, and yet I wrestle with it just like a lot of people wrestle with an awful lot of things. 
I am powerless sometimes in front of it. And I could go along through a long list of things that you are possibly powerless in front of, maybe never even exhaust that list. Things that plague you, haunt you, steal your joy. Things that you'd love to fix, you know? It leaves a, a hole in your heart that you'd love to patch up that hole and, and not have that worry, that pain, that struggle anymore. Well, I was reading a book this week by Charles Solomon, and he said this. He said, the Holy Spirit does not enter our lives to patch up our old identities, but to put into effect our true identity as redeemed children of the King of Kings. And this got me to thinking. You got to think with me today. If you don't, go ahead and go to sleep now because you're going to get bored out of your minds. Got to think with me here. In all of your scripture reading that you've ever done in your whole life, have you ever read a place in the Bible that said that if you will just do these five things, this problem will go away? If you'll just do these three things, this problem will go away. If you'll do these two things, that will take care of the problem. Have you ever read that? I've never seen it. Have you ever read any scripture that talks about patching the things up in your life? I can only think of one place where the scripture talks about patching. Remember what Jesus said about putting new cloth over an old, take an old piece of cloth that's got a hole in it? and put a new piece of cloth over it, what does he say? He says, nobody does that. Because when you wash it, the new piece shrinks and rips a new hole in the cloth. Don't patch it up. We don't patch these things up. The scripture doesn't say that. Do you know what the scripture does say? It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. And in Galatians 6.15, it says that you're a new creation. In Ephesians 4.24, it says, put on a new self. In Colossians 3.10, it says, put on a new self. It doesn't say anything about fixing the old person. It doesn't say anything about fighting the same old battles, the same old ways. It doesn't say anything about making a New Year's resolution to work a little bit harder and make it a little bit better and this will be your year. It doesn't say that. When we read the scriptures and we look at the things like Paul's talking to, and Paul tells us that this is going to get you where you need to go, this is what you need to know, he brings us back to Jesus every time. Every time he brings us to Jesus. And guys, I don't know about you, but I've gone through times in my life where I found that to be very, very, very frustrating. People standing in my face shouting that Jesus is the answer. And I would sit there and think to myself, you know what, I don't, I don't believe Jesus was ever fat. You know? I don't know that he was ever addicted. I don't know that he had relationship problems. What do you mean Jesus is the answer to all of this? Jesus never found himself in a place where he wanted to lie. The truth would be better, but I just got to tell the lie. There are people like that in the world. And Jesus is the answer. 
Now, maybe I'm the only reprobate in this room that's ever felt that way, but I got a sneaking suspicion there's been times that you've leaned back in your chair and you thought, Jesus is the answer? Oh, that's fine, well and good. Can you exactly paint that picture a little more clearly for me? And yet that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying Jesus is the answer. Trust Jesus. Let go. Let God. If he brought you to it, he'll see you through it. I've heard those things and it's made me angry and I've said those very words myself because Paul keeps putting that in front of us. He keeps saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So what are we missing? What is it that we don't quite have a handle on? We're going to start with verse 4 and we're going to take this thing apart one verse at a time. In verse 4, Paul says, Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, in the church, we're really good about looking at the interest of others. You know, they always want this, they always get that, they always do this. He's saying, no, no, what we want to do, this is written for the church. Everybody needs to look at themselves in relationship to the whole body. Nobody gets left out. This is for everybody. Let each of you look not only to your interest, but the interest of others. This is going to work for me, but how does it work for them too? Because it works for all of us. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you know what this says? In very simple terms here, he's saying imitate Jesus. He's setting us up for what he's going to talk about in just a few more minutes. He is setting us up to understand what imitating Jesus means. He's saying, have this mind among yourselves. Now, here's the thing that is, that is difficult for us because we don't really, I don't know that we really do this or that we've tried to do this. He says, have this mind among yourselves. He's telling you to do something. And if he's telling us to do it, then that means that we have the capability of doing this thing as an act of our will. It is something that we can do. God's word is telling us that we can do it here. Have this mind among yourselves. Make your mind up to think this way, he says. Verse 6, who, the who is Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In the form God, if you had been in heaven before earth was created, before anything was that was, if you could have been there and you had looked toward Jesus, you would have seen God. In the form God, that's what he's saying here. Outwardly, you look at him, you see God. But Jesus didn't look at equality with God as something to be grasped. He knew that his father's motivation was to save his creation. He knew his motivation was to save his people even before his people had sinned. And Jesus knew what it was going to take to make that happen. And he didn't argue with the father about it. He didn't say it's not fair that I've got to go down with those stinky, smelly people. It's not fair that I've got to go down there and deal with these people who aren't going to listen to me, who are hard-headed people, who want to do it themselves, who think that equality with God is something to be grasped because they want to do everything their own way. It's not right that I have to go down there and do that because I'm God. He didn't say any of that. But verse 7 says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
So now when we see Jesus, we see a man. Now let me help you understand something here. I no more understand how this works than the man in the moon. Sorry. That's a problem with you. Vote me out. I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand how it works. I studied and studied and studied it, thought I had it down one time, went and studied and looked it up and found out I was believing a heresy. I changed my mind real quick. I don't understand how God could empty himself out and take the form of a man. I don't know how that works. But you know what? God is God. He's just a smidgen bigger than me. He's just a smidgen smarter than me. He's just a smidgen more powerful than me. This is one of those faith things. I'm good with it. Scripture says this, I believe it because God is so large and God is so huge. I don't even think that I've got even an, an iota of a possibility of understanding everything there is about God. Why would I? I don't. But what I do know is he said that Jesus emptied himself out, took the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of man in verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now Paul is reminding us something that back then would have been a little more apparent to them, but because we're so far removed, we've got a different view. We look at Jesus as up there. We look at Jesus as already as Jesus is Lord. He is over all. He is God. He's in the heavens. That's how we look at him. What Paul is reminding these people of and what we have to be reminded of is the fact that Jesus was a human being. He took on the form of a man. He lived under our rules. He hurt like we hurt. He bleeds like we bled. He bled like we bleed. He had to breathe like we had to breathe or he would have died. And when he died, Jesus was dead. Now here's how he gets to be our example. Think about this. When you die, what are you? <laughs> You're dead. All right? Dead as a rock, dead as a hammer, dead as a doornail, dead as dirt, dead, dead. Done. What can you do when you're dead? <laughs> Nothing. We buy elaborate caskets, thousands upon thousands of dollars, beautiful polished wood, comfortable interiors to put something in that doesn't feel it, doesn't know it, doesn't experience it. Makes us feel good. We're honoring the dead, but the dead doesn't care. You could throw the dead in the ditch. <clears throat> Doesn't matter. I'm not here anymore. I'm gone. Jesus died the same way. Jesus died trusting that his father was going to resurrect him from the dead. Jesus did not resurrect himself from the dead. He was not resuscitated. Jesus died and was dead, and if God had not resurrected him to new life, he would have stayed in the grave for eternity. 
but Jesus trusted his Father. And because of Jesus' humility, because of the trust he had in his Father, because of the willingness he had to be obedient to the calling that was his and his alone, because of that, in verses 9 and 10, therefore, based on all of this that's gone before, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Number one, first thing I want you to remember is that he is our example because he lived his life as we live our lives or we live our lives as he lived his life. And when he faced death, he faced death just like you will. Same way, with a hope that the Father will raise us to new life. Remember, we talked about hope the other day. A wish is, is I wish I'd win the lottery. I wish I would. We did not win the publisher's clearing house $10,000 a week for life. They did not come to our house. I wish that they had, but I knew up front that that was a wish, not a hope, because the chances of them coming knocking on my door, here's your check. I knew that wasn't going to happen. But a hope means that I want it to happen, and there's a very good opportunity that it will. Jesus died hoping that his father would keep his word because he knew who God was. When he died, he knew that hope, I'm going to be raised to new life. We face death the same way he does. Okay, because of this, we said, um, therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, Knees will not bow when they hear the name Jesus. That's not the name that's going to do it. When he exalted him, when, when God exalted Jesus, y'all stay here with me. This is hard. I want you to understand it. When God exalted Jesus above the heavens, he gave him a new name. He gave him the name of Lord. That's the name that everybody's going to bow. The first confession of the church was Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the primary confession. That's the confession that you've got to make. That's the confession that I've got to make. Jesus Christ is Lord. And at the name of Lord, every knee shall bow. And I want you to think about what every means. Every angel that's in heaven will bow. Every person that has died and gone before us will bow. If there are creatures in heaven that I have no awareness of, could very well be. I'm not God. Remember that? He may have creatures that he's created. I have nothing that I have no clue of. They will bow. He says every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, every being, whether you are Christian or not, you will bow before the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. I don't care what religion you are. You are going to bow. I don't care what sex you are or what sex you claim to be. You are going to bow. I don't care if you're addicted or not. I don't care what you are doing in this life. When the name Jesus Christ is Lord is pronounced, you will bow involuntarily or voluntarily. You're going to hit your knees at that moment because Jesus Christ 
is Lord over all. I want you to think of what all means. Innocent children. Think about our children that have autism. Think about our children that have Downs. Think about some of our children whose minds are so simple that they cannot grasp a concept of God and sin and redemption. The scripture says all that in that moment, I thoroughly believe that in that moment, these precious children will bow because in that moment, they will understand what it means that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every knee will understand. And under the earth, Satan will bow. And every demon that has ever whispered hell's lies into your ears will bow. Everyone will bow. No exception. There is but one name that will cause every being in creation to bow before God. And every tongue confess. The word confess here, I really like that. Guess where I found this little tidbit? I was looking through my, I was looking through my commentaries, and I had a little bitty skinny one on the book of Philippians. It was sort of tucked in the side. And I pulled it out, and my notes from seminary were in there. I was smart back then. Man, you should read some of the stuff that I wrote on those notes. Man, I'm telling you, I was something. That was pretty cool. And I read this, and I thought, you know what? That makes sense. When he talks about confess, he means that we will confess out loud with our mouths. I hope you're getting that picture in your mind that when Jesus is pronounced, Jesus Christ is Lord, every knee in all of creation will hit the floor and out of everybody's mouth, out of everybody that has ever said anything horrible about Jesus and that he doesn't exist and they don't believe and he won't do and anybody that believes in him is a lunatic or a weakling or a coward anybody that has ever said anything will hit their knees and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord they can't stop themselves they'll see it and they'll know it we talk about all of these different religions and pathways and all the ways that we can get to heaven there is but one way and there is but one name there is but one name Paul is telling us to have this mind among ourselves to be willing to empty ourselves out and do what is necessary to be obedient to God whatever it takes now how is he how is he the answer to our lives how is he going to help me fight my fried chicken addiction How's he going to do this? How's he going to help you with you, your failed relationship, with the pain and the agony and the death that you deal with and you're going to deal with all through 2016? How is he going to do this? Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What he's talking about here. Is this, this phraseology of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. The idea that I have is that I want the Father to be happy. And I want, I love him so much, and I respect him so much, 
that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm going to bow down before Jesus because he is my Lord and I want to make him happy. And I don't want to try to do anything to earn any points from him because I know I can't earn any points. And I don't want to try to do anything to patch any holes up because I can't patch any holes up. He's made a brand new me. He's put a new heart in me. He's put a new spirit in me. He lays a new mind before me. And he says, take this mind up for your own. More than anything in the world, I want to please him. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? When we die and we stand before God, don't we all want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Don't we? Does anybody want to get to heaven and hear God say, well, you did good enough? No. No, I don't. More than anything in this world, we want to please him. When my knee bows and I confess with my mouth out loud for the world to hear that Jesus is Lord, I want a smile to be on his face. That's working out your salvation with fear and trembling, realizing how powerful he is and what his, the, the adoration that he, uh, he should have from us. And then verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Y'all been good and you've, you've, you've hung in there with me and you've listened and I know some of you are struggling. Here's the end of it, so hang in here. Four things that God does. Four things that God does. And these four things is how he's going to work in us to get us where he wants us to go. Number one, the desire that you have to be different. The desire that you have to be whole. The desire that you have to be healed. The desire you have to be like him was created in you by him. Do you understand? When you give up, when you, when you empty yourself out, I want to have the mind of Christ. Whatever you want, I'll do. Whatever you want, wherever you want to go, I am willing. I don't care how it turns out. I want to go. Scripture says he'll give us the desires of our heart, right? Well, of course he does. He's placed desires in us that we want. So number one, he gives us the desires. Number two, the actions that you need to take are motivated by him. He motivates us to want these, to do these. And the third thing is, is he gives us the energy to do it. The word work here is an unusual word. It's not the usual word that's used in the Bible for work. It's the word that our word energy comes from. I hesitate to use this because we think of the energizer bunny, but it's what it means, that God is our energizer. That he gives us a desire, he motivates us to want to do it, and then he gives us the energy to do it then he's the one that provides the power, the gasoline, the whatever it is we need to get this thing done. And then he guarantees, the fourth thing, is he guarantees the outcome because he says he does it for his own pleasure. Everything God does is good. The outcome is always the outcome that he wants. It will end up being just. It will end up being fair. It will end up being successful. It will make us more like Jesus. All right. Now what do we take away from this? It appears that we have a choice. I can try to patch myself up. 
This requires that I be a Christian like I've learned how to be a Christian. I'll go to church more this year. I'll be a better person this year. I try to cuss a little bit less. I try to drink a little bit less. I try to love my family a little bit more. The cussing and drinking's not mine. That's y'all's. <laughs> I'm just trying to be inclusive. You know what I mean? Don't get any ideas. I'm going to make sure that I tithe like I'm supposed to. I'm going to give offering every now and then. I'm going to come to church on a fairly regular basis, as regular as I possibly can. I'm going to make sure that my kids come to church. I'm going to do everything that I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. I'll read my Bible every day until next week. I'll do everything that I'm supposed to do. And then I'll find the answers. That's one choice. Or you can choose to have the mind of Christ. I choose to make up my mind that I would rather be new than patched. That I will dedicate myself to following the Lord Jesus Christ whatever it takes with wild, reckless abandon. I'll go where you want. I'll do what you want. I'll say what you want. And guys, please, please remember some of the stuff that we've talked about in here before. He understands that you're standing before him saying these things and in the same breath you're saying, I believe, help my unbelief. And he says, that's good enough. That's good enough. Empty yourself out, trusting that God will not turn you into a Jesus freak. He'll not turn you into a caricature of a Christian, but he will turn us into Christ followers whose mission is to bring glory to God in everything that we do. And I think that's going to look a whole lot different than what we think it's going to look. So that's your choice this morning. It's what stands before you. You make resolutions like you've made every year. For 40 years, I've made a resolution that I'm going to lose weight. I've done it once. This might be the year. I might do it. Or I can make the decision that I'll come to Jesus just as I am and that I will trust him with wild, reckless abandon and I'll go wherever he leads, whatever it takes, best I can, not knowing what that means but knowing that it'll end up in the right place. Those are our two choices. I ask you this morning to make your choice. Make your choice just to do things the way you've done a million times over. Or make a choice this morning to lean back in your pew and say to Jesus, you know what? I've done it the other way. I want to follow you. Whatever it takes. I'm scared to death. Don't make me a missionary to Africa. But if that's what you want, that's where I'll go to. Father, we pray. Lord, we've listened to the, we've listened to the uh, voices in the world so much that we believe that if we follow you like you want to be followed, that we will be 
or crazy. And I know that we'll be out of step with the rest of the world. You tell us that we will, and you tell us that people will hate us. Now, Father, we know, too, that when it's all said and done, when our knee bows, you'll smile. And we look around ourselves, we'll see faces with us that might not have been there without us. And we'll hear people come up to us and thank us for, for what we did and we had no clue that we ever did it because the Holy Spirit was working in us. Lord, it's easy to watch the news and get very, very angry. <laughs> there are some stupid people in this world. And I probably can count myself among them sometimes. We're all searching for an answer. And you are that answer. You're calling out to us. to trust you to do the things that you said that you'd do in the scripture. Cause us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, everything I've said really doesn't apply. First thing that you've got to do, well, I guess it does. You go back to the part about Jesus trusting God to raise him from the dead. He said that he would forgive you of your sins. And then he would save you. And then he would take you to live with him forever. So I think you have to believe three things. First, that you're a sinner. And that the things that you did were bad. And the things that you do are bad. The things that you do are counter to what God wants and that causes him grief and pain. And I think you have to hurt over that. I don't think we can come to God without hurting some, realizing what we've done because that causes us, makes us realize we need to repent, turn away from that stuff and turn to him. And then you need to trust him that he will save you. You don't get a card saying that you're saved. No celestial skywriting. You just know in your heart that God's doing what he said he would do. And then you commit yourself to following him. As best as you know how, but listening to him and let him motivate you to get where you need to go. So I'd ask you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that you would repent of your sins and you would ask him to save you. And if you do that, I would ask you to come down the aisle and Make it public so everybody will know and follow him in baptism. If you want to join the church, you can come and do that. You can pray. I ask you guys, don't, don't mess with resolutions. It's a waste of time. Do. Do. Make this the year that you turn to Christ and say, I'm going to follow you. Show me how to do it because I don't have a clue.